may have remembered a contest that occurred in 2015, and about 80 women from around the world gathered together to vie for the Miss Universe crown. And they, the whole time together, had a lot of fun, but once the program was, was going, they showed us lots of talent uh, that they had. They answered questions uh, in immaculate ways and showed why they should be crowned Miss Universe, some 80 women vying for this crown. And you may remember uh, towards the end of the program, it was time to crown Miss Universe, and someone handed Steve Harvey the card. He read that out loud, and it was Miss Columbia. The place went crazy. Miss Columbia was crying. Uh, her home nation was ecstatic. And then a few seconds into that celebration, it was told to Steve that he had read the wrong name, and it was actually Miss Philippines who had won. And so they took the crown off of Miss Columbia and put it on Miss Philippines. And there were new tears, both <laughs> joyful and non-triumphant. <laughs> you know, we celebrate Jesus Christ today. And it's his crown that matters most. It's in him that we find hope for the ages. It's in him that we find all the peace and love and tranquility that we're hoping for in this life and the next. And so we celebrate him all year long, but especially this season of hope, and today especially on Christmas Day. The prophets and Israelites for hundreds of years had lit candles awaiting that crowned king, that Messiah that had been prophesied in all of the Old Testament in the Hebrew Bible, the one pointing toward Bethlehem and the coming of the Messiah, the, the promised one of God. Mary and Joseph had lit those candles their whole life in hopes that the Messiah would come this year, that it would be this moment in time. We found out a couple of weeks ago that John the Baptist said, the Messiah is not me, but pointed to and elevated Jesus of Nazareth as the Messiah that was the promised one of God. And then we saw the prophet Isaiah write 700 years before Jesus ever was born that the Messiah would come, the promised one of God, and relieve the world from the burden of difficulty and sin that we bore. It was from Bethlehem that he would come, and finally, Jesus was born in Bethlehem, as it was prophesied. You know, the Hebrew language is interesting because typically any given word is, is two or three different Hebrew words pushed together to create an idea. And sometimes those words are transliterated into the English language. Bethlehem is one of those words. The first word is bait, which means house, and lechem, which means fruit or, or bread. So Jesus was born in the house of bread. Paul, the apostle, reminds us of what God had in store for us when he writes to those Galatian churches, and we have that letter today in our New Testament, in Galatians chapter 4, when he says, but when the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law, to free us from the burden of sin, to unshackle us. And indeed, Jesus, in his own ministry, in John chapter 6, makes a reference to himself. He says, I am the bread of life the bread of life that comes from the house of bread. That's the Jesus that we celebrate this holiday season. 
And Mary, the mother of Jesus, was told during her pregnancy from the angel of the Lord, don't be alarmed, don't be afraid, because all of this is coming to fruition because of God's promises to his people all through the centuries. You are bearing the Son of God. And it's through him that we will have a Redeemer, a Savior, someone who will take away the sin of the world. The same angel appeared to Joseph to remind him, don't run away, don't send Mary away. All this is happening because God has ordained it to be so. And you will be the earthly parents of Jesus, the Lamb of God, the Son of God. And the candles that Mary and Joseph had lit their entire life and indeed all of Israel awaiting the coming Messiah That proclamation actually goes all the way back to the book of Genesis, where it's quoted saying that the the woman will bear a child and that child will crush the head of the serpent. It's always been the plan of God to deliver a savior to this earth. His creation welcoming that savior at this point in our years, we celebrate his birth. And there on the straw, In that makeshift nursery, a child that we celebrate, the personified hope was born. And I know that you guys have sang lots of hymns, traditional holiday hymns uh, this month, as we have even this this morning. But one of my favorites, because of a line from from that song, O Little Town of Bethlehem, and it says, The hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. And in that little baby were the hopes of God's promises fulfilled. Hopes to to have our sins forgiven. Hopes to overcome death that lurks on everyone's door. Hopes to overcome prolonged illness. Hopes to rebuild relationships that have been broken. Hopes for an eternal life with our creator, God the Father. And so today, we take a look again at the nativity story. The story of Jesus' birth, this on Christmas Day. And so I invite you to turn to Luke chapter 2. If you've got your Bibles, we'll be there this morning. But the text will also be on the screen as we read the story of Jesus' birth. Starting in verse 4. Because Joseph was a descendant of King David, he had to go to Bethlehem in Judea, David's ancient home. He traveled there from the village of Nazareth in Galilee. And he took with him Mary, his fiancée, who was now obviously pregnant. And while they were there, the time came for her baby to be born. She gave birth to her first child, a son. And she wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger, because there was no lodging available for them. And that night there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep, when suddenly the angel of the Lord appeared among them. And the radiance of God's glory surrounded them, and they were absolutely terrified. But the angel reassured them, don't be afraid, he said. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David, and you will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth lying in a manger. When suddenly the angel was joined by the vast host of others, the armies of heaven, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest 
and peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. Church, we celebrate that story today. What a beautiful story that we can know our God loves us enough to send his son to us. It is a familiar story, a remarkable story, but this morning I want to pull out a few tidbits that remind us of the hope that we have in this baby in the manger, this, this person we call Jesus, the Son of God, the King of Kings. And the first thing is where it took place. Where does the story take place? Because it didn't happen in a major city. It didn't happen in Athens or Rome or, or Jerusalem. It didn't happen in the, the, center, the centers of commerce or religiosity or, or culture. No, no, it, it happened in some backwater town in the Roman province of Judea. We read that everyone had to go and register for a census. You see, Rome had declared that there's going to be a count of everyone in the empire. And there's two reasons why that might happen. Number one, Rome might have wanted to take account of all the military fighting men that were at their disposal. Secondly, it was to levy taxes against areas, towns, and families. Verse 3 reminds us of why they went. All returned to their own ancestral towns to register for this census. It's why Mary and Joseph have to go to Bethlehem. You see, Joseph is a direct descendant of King David, the greatest king in all of Israel's history. And Bethlehem is where David is originally from. And so Mary and David have to take themselves to the place where King David grew up. But what we must see is that behind Rome is a sovereign God who is pulling all of the strings. You see, Caesar is on the throne only because God put him there. King Herod is only on the throne because God put him there. Indeed, we go all the way back to the minor prophet of, of Micah in our Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible in chapter 5, where the prophet proclaims that the Messiah will come from the city of David, from Bethlehem. Look at verse 7. Mary gave birth to her first child, a son, and she wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no lodging available for them. Some versions say there was no room at the end, and I want you to get any idea of the holiday end out of your mind because that is not how it was at all. I appreciate Michael Millsap who built our structure here on stage as a visual for the nativity, for the manger scene. And most of us in our own families, many of us have a nativity scene in our home because we want to be reminded that the reason for the season is not the lights and the trees and the gifts, although those are nice. The reason for the season, church, is Jesus. That's why we celebrate that this time of year. And so in the hall house, we've got a manger scene. We've got a small structure, and within that is Mary and Joseph and baby Jesus. On top of the structure are two angels proclaiming that the Messiah is finally here. Around Mary and Joseph on the ground are the animals, cattle, donkeys, sheep, goats. And amongst the animals are a couple of shepherds who've come in from the outskirts of town to see what is happening in Bethlehem. And on the very outskirts of the scene are the three wise men. Now, I want to remind us all that the, the wise men are actually not at the birth of Jesus. They come in the picture two years later. And they bring three gifts. We don't know how many wise men there were, but they're generally part of the nativity scene because they're part of the story. 
And like last week, we remind, reminded each other that some scholars believe that Jesus might have been born in a cave on the outskirts of town, that there was no room where pilgrims might stay as they're traveling. And so they found someone who had a cave where they kept some animals out of the way. And so on the outskirts of town, possibly born in a cave. Other scholars bring attention to this, this structure called a, a caravansary. Look that up after church, not right now, please. Caravansary. But it's a structure on the outskirts of town, and it's square in nature. There's a roof on it, and it's a place where those that are passing by, those that are traveling, can kind of hunker down for the night. And in the middle is this open courtyard area where they would put any animals that they might be traveling with. And so Mary and Joseph, according to some, get to the caravansary. Every sleeping spot is full, and so the only place that they have to really park themselves is in the open courtyard where the animals are kept. No matter where he's born, we all can agree that it was not a silent night for Mary and Joseph. That is true. Where he's born is important. But also, who were the first ones to hear those anthems of praise that the angels proclaimed? But it was the shepherds. And shepherds are not a part of mainstream society of any town in Israel. They have an important job, but they lived and worked on the outskirts of town. By occupation, shepherds are ceremonially unclean. And so most of the normal uh, occupation that the, the townspeople would avoid shepherds if they, if they could. And in every culture, we're reminded that we all have shepherds, don't we? We all have outcast and marginalized folks in our culture. Folks who are important to the mainstream of functioning day to day, yet we don't really have a lot to do with them. I mean, think about the last time that you took an Uber or a Lyft or a taxi and you jumped in the back seat and immediately struck up this conversation with the driver about hobbies and habits and grandkids and, and all the different things that you might be asking them to get to know them a little bit better. Or, or Maybe having that kind of conversation with the grocery clerk probably hasn't happened recently. You and I are in and out of those stores fairly quickly. My guess is none of us have sat at the end of our driveway waiting for the garbage truck to roll around so we could talk to the guy driving. We probably haven't done that along the way. But what I love about the Christmas story is that when God has something important to tell the world... He didn't go to Rome or Jerusalem or Athens. He didn't find the folks that had the big bank accounts or, 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 or somebody important in town. No, what did he do? He went to the overlooked people in the culture. So why Bethlehem? Where the angels are, are singing for the shepherds to go into town, where the, the animals are fed, it's one word, and that word is accessibility. Accessibility. Because what we find out in our story is that anyone can come to the manger. Anyone can go see Jesus. It's not intimidating. You don't have to flash your ID card. You don't have to show what political party that you're affiliated with. You don't have to dress up. You don't have to take your bank account or your tax return to prove who you are. No, even the marginalized shepherds felt it was okay to go into town and to see the Savior that was born. And what message did they hear beginning in verse 10? The angel said, don't be afraid. I bring you good news 
that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. If you've got your own Bibles, I'd like you to mark verse 10 because that's such an important faith verse for us. I don't want you to miss two words that are said there, all people. Yes, even the marginalized folks get to come in contact with Jesus. Not just the Jewish, not just Americans, not just folks with a big bank account or a lot of power. No, Jesus is the hope for all people, church. He's the hope for everyone. And Jesus' birth is a preview to his life as well. You'll notice as Jesus grows up and enters into ministry and begins interacting in in the, the nation in which he loves so very much that we see that everyone can come to the manger, but everyone can come to him in life as well. There's a moment where he's teaching in one of the town squares and he's seated and, and just letting everyone know how incredible their God truly is. The crowd is coming in and the disciples are keeping back the kids who want to come see Jesus. And Jesus recognizes that and he says, no, no, let, let the kids come to me. Kids are important. That there's a moment where he is doing ministry and walking through a town. Everyone has heard about all the miracles that Jesus has done. They want to get a piece of Jesus. They want to be close to him. And the crowd is really pushing in. The disciples are trying to create a small bubble around him. And he's just able to shuffle through town. It is so thick. And there's one woman in the crowd who's used every dime in her bank account to cure the, the problem that she has, the sickness that she's dealt with for 12 years. For 12 years, imagine this, you can't go to worship because you're unclean. Imagine being met at the door of the congregation you attend saying, no, no, you can't come in. You're just not good enough. She's heard of Jesus who can change everything. And she makes her way through the crowd on her hands and knees, squeezing through the legs that are around Jesus and reaches through to touch the edge of his garment because she believes If I just touch a piece of his clothing, it's going to be enough to heal me. And that's exactly what happens. And then she and Jesus have a dialogue. Her faith has healed her. Or the Roman centurion, who's not a part of the Jewish culture at all, knows and hears about Jesus, finds him in town. And the centurion says, look, I have a servant who I dearly love, but he is deathly ill. I'd like you to come heal him. But here's the thing. I know that you don't even need to come to my house. You simply say the word and he will be healed. And Jesus says, I haven't seen this kind of faith in all of Israel. Go because your servant is healed. Your faith has healed him. The manger reveals the kind of life that Jesus lived out for us. He is available and approachable, but also the manger reveals and previews his sacrifice and death. Because Jesus on the cross means everybody can come to the cross. Everybody has the opportunity to be forgiven. His sacrifice is open to everyone, one and all. It's interesting, some scholars believe too that those flocks that are are being attended to outside of Bethlehem, the city of David, the greatest king Israel has ever known, some scholars believe that those flocks are the ones that birth the lambs that are then used for sacrifice in Jerusalem at Passover. 
And now the angels have appeared to those shepherds saying, leave the Passover sheep and go see the Lamb of God who will deliver the world from sin so that you no longer need animal sacrifice. Verse 15 reveals their response. When the angels had returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing that has happened which the Lord has told us about. And they hurried to the village and found Mary and Joseph. And there was the baby lying in the manger. And after seeing him, the shepherds told everyone what had happened and what the angel had said to them about the child. And all who heard the shepherd's story were absolutely astonished. You see, the shepherds actually give us a great example of how to live life. They show us how we are to follow this child of God, this son of God, this Savior for all of us. Because first, they received the message in faith. They heard the angel's proclamation that now there is a new king who is born in Bethlehem. They didn't sit around the fire and, and articulate what the story actually meant or parse the words out or try to decide if it was real or not. No, they took the story on faith. And then they responded quickly to the story by going into Bethlehem to find the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords laying in the manger. And once they found Jesus and he had become part of their story, they told other people about the Jesus that they had found. And so my question is this morning, does Jesus occupy that kind of preeminence in your life? Does he transform you and move you in such a way that you can't help but tell other people how he's transformed and changed you, the hope that you have discovered in him? Because this holiday season of hope, that's what it is all really about. And you and I have the opportunity to extend that hope to all those we come in contact with each and every day. Those who need to feel the love and the mercy of our creator that only Jesus can offer. So what have you done with the story of Jesus and the story of his birth? How has the story of the baby in the manger changed your life? What's really different about you that makes people drawn to you to hear that story? So many of us are living in this moment where we celebrate this Christmas time, but for whatever reason, the story stops with us. And the challenge this morning is that you won't let that be. I'm gonna go ahead and ask our shepherds and their wives to gather around the wall of this room. We're gonna sing a song here in just a moment. But my guess is there are some here in this room, maybe joining us online, who have never declared Jesus Christ king of their life. Do not leave today without saying, Jesus Christ, you are my Lord and Savior. I declare you king of my life. And if that's you today and you're in this room, I want to encourage you to go find one of our shepherd couples on the wall of this room and make that declaration to them. I want Jesus to be king of my life. Don't hesitate. Don't wait. And then afterwards, be baptized into his name, declaring him king of your life full of the Holy Spirit, able to go out and tell the story of how he's changed your life forever. And for some of us in this room, we made that declaration at one point, but the anxieties and worries of the world in which we live kind of got us not looking at Jesus anymore. 
And today is a day to reclaim that gaze, to refix our eyes on Jesus. And so if that's you this morning, I want to challenge you to get out of your chair, go find one of our couples, let them pray for you and over you, that you would be reminded of how powerful Jesus Christ is in your life and in the world around us. Jesus Christ is the only hope that this world has and the only hope that we have as well. He's the greatest gift we've ever been given. So today, this morning, let's stand with one voice as the family of God and praise his holy name.